0: Well, good evening, Mosaic family. How are we doing? Great to see you. Hey, it's been a while since I've been up here uh, getting to lead worship. I just had uh, our second little boy. His name's Oliver. So I've been out. Yeah, I'm excited. He's, thank you. Uh, so I've been out uh, getting to hang with him and I'm glad to be back. It's a joy to be uh, in the house of the Lord together. So church, let's stand and worship and keep our eyes focused on Jesus tonight. a seat let's check out this video
1: over the next month members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to the elder board in our church governance structure the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our body we are not a church with elders we're a church led by elders the nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Please read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. If you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick up one at the information desk in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the Qualifications of an Elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 11th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the process of recognizing new elders. Finally, we thank Scott Thompson and Roger Hill for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, please thank these gentlemen for their faithful service. On another note, a few of The buildings on our Rogers campus need some attention. The Family Center was completed in 1991. The Worship Center and Foyer were completed in 1999. That's a quarter of a century. The elders have approved moving forward with much needed improvements to those buildings. The cost is estimated to be approximately $4.5 million. We don't want to go into debt for this project, and we have proven on initiatives of much larger scale that we can get this done if all our congregations work together. My wife Denise and I will be setting up monthly recurring gifts to do our part, and I hope you will too. No gift is too large or too small. And remember, it's not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. On the giving page of our website, you will find capital improvements. You can make a contribution there or set up recurring gifts. We already have $1.3 million in donations, so we are well on our way. God continues to do great things through Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. Thank you for playing an active role in this great ministry. God bless you, everyone.
2: Well, good evening, folks. Good to see you. Welcome to the 5 p.m. Assembly of Mosaic. We are glad that you're here. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, and you may have seen my, my ugly mug up on the screen there. Uh, I've been part of the elder team. Uh, you might be hearing about elder nominations and saying, well, goodness gracious, didn't we just do this? And the answer is yes. You uh, you are part of a church body that very wisely sets term limits <laughs> on our elders, <laughs> and uh, uh, I came on in 2019, and so I'll roll off next spring. And it has been an, an honor and a privilege uh, to be part of the elder team here. Um, but do do uh, prayerfully consider and think about uh, nominations. For that process as we enter into that season again. Um, it's a, it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And uh, like I said, it's uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to, to serve in that way. Um, but it is, uh, uh, it is something that is, that is taken very seriously. And, and, uh, and, and we appreciate your, your prayerful consideration of that. The, the, uh, the upgrade the facelift on uh, on our facilities here these facilities have served us very very well for well over two decades um, but uh, they are showing their age they are showing a little wear and tear and uh, so we're gonna gonna get going on some much-needed uh, improvements and updates and upgrades and etc and, et cetera. and uh, if you if you feel led by the spirit to jump in and participate in in some of that uh, we'd invite you to do that as well um thirdly marriage enrichment night uh, this is actually I'm, it's not exactly night it happens at 3:30 tomorrow afternoon so for most of us that's not night but uh but <laughs> And y'all, I'm, 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 uh, I'm kind of a malapropism guy. I, in talking to my wife about this, I've called it uh, a marriage enhancement and marriage encroachment and marriage, a lot of different things. It's, uh, it's being hosted by, by our re-engage group. And I, I, I think it's kind of like a, a sampler of, uh, of re-engage. So if you're married or uh, engaged or thinking about getting married or anything in that realm... Uh, there's still time to sign up for that. It's at 3.30 to 5.30 tomorrow afternoon. Um, What's next? Oh, a week from Monday, sage worship. And uh, the sage group is uh, folks that are our seasoned veterans of uh, walking with the Lord um, and or uh, folks that uh, are old souls. And a week from Monday night, uh, they'll be having a uh, a worship uh, where they sing the old songs. So if you enjoy singing the songs uh, that you probably sang growing up, that'll be a good opportunity. Uh, I believe that is six p.m. Not this coming Monday, but a week from Monday. And uh, one more thing before I sit down. Um, celebrate with us uh, Kate Johnson, who will be putting on her Lord in baptism at second service. So keep her in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, And that will happen about this time into the second service. So second service starts at 630 by 640. uh, We'll be... uh, We'll be baptizing Kate. So if you wanted to hang around for that, that might be kind of fun, too. Uh, And with that, I'm going to turn it back over to these guys because I have uh, preschoolers and kindergartners waiting in the children's center for me to come over and tell them about Ruth and Boaz. Y'all have a good night.
0: Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for serving on our board, too. All right. All right. let's let's, let's bring our attention back to to Jesus and I wanna share a little bit about the heart behind this offering prayer. It's something we've been doing over a year now and uh, I wanna warn you about things becoming rote inside of your heart. When we become liturgical in some of our practices, they can just start to become kind of numb. So I wanna invite you and ask the Holy Spirit, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to read this prayer with new ears, new eyes tonight. So church, would you read this aloud with me together? Let's read it slowly. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts, and to use them for your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, Offering of fish and loaves. Multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give can match your great gifts to us, your Son, and your Spirit. Amen. Churchill, stand in worship. This is our hope. Amen. Standing as we read the Word of God tonight.
3: Oh, wow. That's pretty bright up there. Hi, I'm Tally Rose. Hello, Mosaic. <laughs> Those are my three friends over there. I said cheer because I'm nervous, so that really works out. Um, uh, I go to um, a women's study on biblical foundations and I work for Camp Eagle. Anybody at can- Camp Oregon? <laughs> Just breathe behind me, that's good. Uh, So let's hear from the word of the Lord. Join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame their mind is set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body this is the word of the lord
4: thanks tally y'all can have a seat I hadn't met you yet, I'm Matt Natzel. I work here with the kiddos. And we are wrapping up chapter three of the Philippian letter tonight. So uh, we're gonna break the passage out over three ideas. The first is rooted in verse 17, and it's, it's our example. And then in verses 18 and 19, we're gonna look at our grief. And then finally, in 20 and 21, we're gonna look at our hope, okay? So our example our grief, and our hope. So let's jump into verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now, if we were just dropping into the passage right here, this is the first we had heard of Paul There might be a sense that he's maybe a little egotistical or something, maybe a little prideful. But we absolutely know, because we've been walking through the letter together, that that's not the case. If we were to turn back to chapter 2, we would would remember that he spent most of it just talking about Christ's worthiness of following. And, And shortly after that, he lists himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples worth following. So what is the example that they have set? Well, then he spent the rest of chapter 3 detailing that. He's been just building this picture. So two weeks ago, Colin got up here and and we looked at what Paul taught on being freed from the penalty of sin through justification. Being washed in nothing but the blood of Christ to experience that first moment of faith. To have attributed to us the righteousness of Christ that makes everything else seem like garbage. You remember that out of that passage. We, we boast in Christ, not in the flesh, knowing that whatever righteousness we have doesn't come from obedience to the law, but from faith in Christ. And then that, last week, Nick looked at how Paul set up our freedom from the power of sin as we participate in our ongoing sanctification. Becoming more and more like Christ as we live day by day in relationship with him. He bolsters us to, to press on that the race of life is hard. And we remember that Paul's saying this from prison. So he's not just blowing a lot of smoke, is he? Instead, we, we see that it's not dwelling on the sin of the past that is the goal. But instead, it's straining toward our heavenward And that's the same argument that continues into this passage tonight. This concept that we call glorification. It's it's us looking to our hopeful future uh, where we are freed from the presence of sin. There's not even a, 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 a tainted bit of it around us any longer. Instead, we are perfected in and for God's eternal kingdom. So like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. And that is what we are pressing toward together. So we continue in verse 17. You'll remember that in the opening part of chapter three, he was warning us to watch for the mutilators and the dogs. He kind of set us up to watch defensively, but here he's telling us how to watch offensively, and and kind of moving forward toward the prize. He says, watch or keep your eyes on the exemplary models. Keep your eyes on any who are living the worthy example. So a question then is begged for all of us. Are you, am I, following others? Are you setting a model to follow? If not, why? Uh, find someone and lead or watch for someone exemplary and follow. And I know this is really in the early in the sermon to do this but I want to just take a few kind of Selah moments here, just a few seconds of silence as you contemplate. And, and maybe it's, you're already leading others and you're already got others following you and you're following others. And so you might just use this time to pray for those people by name. That's gonna be great. Uh, maybe God's gonna to call to mind someone that you did life with for a season and they're no longer around. And so you can just thank God for them. And if you still have the chance Give them a ring later and tell them thanks for how you've led me. But maybe you answered no to one of those first two questions. And let's just ask God, bring someone to mind. And then God, would you help me commit to follow up on that? So just take a few moments to listen to God now. we are people who need direction don't we i'm i'm uh, the irony of this life is that we're always brand new at it that i'm today i happen to be a 37 year old father of four i've been married 15 years my kids are the ages they are my wife is the age she is we've never i just never been here before and i wish that life sometimes y'all know what these are lego instructions right they're some of the like easiest to follow directions in the world and I just wish that life was like Lego instructions. Sometimes, but it's it's just it's just not even even the Bible isn't a Lego build guide, is it? It doesn't give me a play-by-play on what I need in every circumstance and situation. Instead, it it gives us it gives us a, it helps us frame out some guiding principles, so so that when we get to a brand new situation that doesn't have a, a rule book or a guide to follow, we don't just throw our hands up and give up and fall into to sin or some. Uh, bad situation there, but instead we we pull together all the best relevant pieces of wisdom, and and with those insights, we can find a path of of trust and obedience, and, and we can move forward. So if God is using the scriptures in one hand that way, in his other hand, he's got people. He's got people. And when I think about my time at Mosaic or at Fellowship at Large, I'm, I'm now in my 10th year on staff. Ten year, For the 10 years before that, I was a member and just a, a volunteer. And, and as I think about that time, there's just been so many people who have led me. I, I'm, I was humbled as I was recalling names and faces and, and stories and, and the way that people had shepherded me. It's staff and it's volunteers just released into leadership. And because... Church wasn't necessarily a main thing in my home as I was growing up. In so many ways, I'm mimicking what I've seen from others here, people that have led me here. Colin reminded me as we were preparing these messages, he said, we're only building upon the shoulders of those who've come before us. And so when I think about Mosaic, Mosaic, talking to Lori Hashin in the last year or so, she said that Mosaic feels like a new church with a lot of history. So there's, there's some shoulders that have been around this place for a long time, but there's a whole bunch of us that are pretty new to this Mosaic gig. You're not new to church, but you're new to this congregation. And so I, I know that that's a, a big deal. I, I'm praying over the future of this church that it would be a place that is full of people worth watching and worth following. I think that's what it means to be released leaders. Let's get back into the passage. We're we're moving now into the Our Grief section, and it says this. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Oh, that is an intense set of descriptions, is it not? I told you before, I tell you again, I'm saying it over and over. Can you believe I have to say it again? There are enemies everywhere. There's almost a a glee in the series of descriptions about the enemies. It's destruction and shame that are their destiny and glory. And their God is their appetite. Oh, they've got what's coming to them. But you heard the verse read before I just read it. And I tried to read it as mean as I could, and it didn't feel good, and I cut a part out, didn't I? Can we, can we reveal the part that I cut out? It says, instead, I, as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears. Oh, there's, a, there's something soft about this. Paul isn't some like crusty ogre that's just waiting to like blast everybody, is he? Why the tears? I think there are at least four things going on here, and I think we need to consider all four of them. You see, Paul is deeply devoted to God and his people. Is he upset because the truth of God, the clarity of the gospel has been adulterated? Is it, is it the, the poor handling of the truth that is grieving him so deeply? Perhaps. Maybe it's, is he upset because the group that he's discussing here are some who have who've taken part in this Philippian church. He, he knows them, and he knows that they know better. This is the, the grief of the parents of prodigals, folks that have wondered, I know that you know better. Why are you where you're at now? It's the grief that I carry over some of my dearest, most influential brothers. When I look at the first few years of my life, there were brothers that walked closely and were models for me, and so many of them are just out. They're, they're gone. They've, they've left. Um, is he upset? Not because these are brothers who've left, but because they are people who have never believed. And he's just sobered by the pain of the eternal destiny of these image bearers. Because like, like Peter in 2 Peter 3, he, he would wish that none would perish. Or even like Ezekiel, who's quoting what God tells him in, in chapter 33, as surely as I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Or are these the humble tears of Paul? As he just sits overwhelmed by the grace of God, that he's no longer an enemy, but now as a son. Colossians chapter one says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. It's overwhelming gratitude about God's grace that produces a humility in every believer that forces us to to step down off our holy high horses and extend grace to everyone around us, even our most bitter enemies, or even the people we love that are just on the wrong side of us at any given moment. So four griefs, truth handled poorly, brothers turned aside, sinners without hope, or perhaps just that we too were once enemies. Another space, just a pause. I think we need conviction in all four. But for you tonight, for me tonight, just ask God, what, what would you have me do this week, this, this day? Which one would you have me grow in? So another moment of quiet here to, to listen to the Lord. So I'm gonna chart out uh, the descriptions that he's given so far. Uh, he's, he's working toward a positive contrast and I wanna help us see that more clearly. So first he gives us this identity statement that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, what do the lives of enemies of the cross of Christ look like? He then gives us three characteristics. The first, that their destiny is destruction. Hebrews 9 promises that all people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. And then according to our own acts and our own righteousness, not a single one of us deserve grace. For each and every one of us, our destiny was destruction, and for many, it still is. Second, their God is their stomach, A man's God is that to which he gives himself. That's Dwight Pentecost in his commentary on the book of Philippians. A man's God is that to which he gives himself. Now, life obviously is a gift to be deeply enjoyed, but also, don't make your appetites or the the satisfaction of those appetites your God. Don't let the creation or the creature take the place of the creator. So it's not about food being evil or or eating being evil. It's about the constant gratification of our creaturely appetites. And sin is tempting. If it wasn't enjoyable, we wouldn't turn aside to it so easily. If If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it, would we? Consider how many of the seven deadly sins are just the good gifts of God, but just tweaked wrong or, or done in excess. Pride is self-worth as an image bearer, just run amok. Greed is dissatisfaction with the good gifts God has given and, and a desire for more and more. Wrath is the gift of anger. Something is wrong and God's given you a gift to notice it and to work against it, but, but wrath is anger pushed into just unchecked out of control. We got envy. It's like greed, but rather than joy at your neighbor's good fortune, it's an unholy desire for their things also. We got lust. It's the gift of recognizing beauty or the delight of sexual pleasure, but it's in all the wrong places. We got gluttony, that God made food pleasurable, not just nourishing. What a gift. What a gift. But we eat more than we need, and others are left without. Their sloth, the good gift of rest, just swallowed up by lethargy, just wasting it away. It's example after example of unchecked appetites. That's their God is their stomach. Third, their glory is in their shame. Ephesians 5, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And and 1 Peter chapter 2 says, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. These are people that are finding glory where they ought to find shame. We either live in, in light of God's kingdom or we live in light of our own. And we can't do both. And then finally, he, he clarifies, here's the, the root belief or the root thing that's undergirding all of this. It's that their mind is set on earthly things. And I added lowly there as well to steal kind of from the end of this passage. These, these folks are the epitome of when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Uh, Pentecost again says, they have accepted the standards of a godless world and make those standards their standards. As long as society approves, they conclude that a holy God would approve. And notice that it's not just they think about earthly things, but rather their mind is set. That the earthly things are bearing the weight of their every thought and hope. And the irony is that those are the same earthly things that are part of the perishing creation. (laughs) What can they do as part of creation? Ephesians 2 soberly reminds all of us that we're all well aware of what this way of thinking looks like. It says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And that's why this turn in the passage feels so hopeful. It's why we call this next section our hope. It says our, this is one of those big butts of the Bible, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not our Roman citizenship. It's not our U.S. citizenship. He's calling us toward a true citizenship, an eternal one, and that draws our eyes necessarily upward. It says, from heaven, heavenward. And so we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think about the phrase, eagerly await. And I think about the circumstances in my life that I can picture in that category. I think about a newlywed on their wedding day. Man, it's here. It's finally here. We've been waiting. A mother in the throes of birthing a child, waiting for the baby to finally get here. Every push, bringing baby closer. A kid on Christmas Eve. Oh, it's almost here. It's almost here. Those examples, they're so so rare. It's rare that a person gets more than 80 or 90 Christmas mornings in their whole lifetime. Just doesn't. Happen, And that's the most frequent of all of those. So we gather as believers because every day is not Christmas morning. We draw together to, to try and help each other stay eager. And when it doesn't feel like he's coming back Quickly enough, we're challenging each other. It's it's like the challenge of of putting your face in the water. That changes the whole microphone there. Sorry, that was way loud. It freaked me out. Uh, It's like putting your face in the water, and that just immediately increases your eagerness to breathe, doesn't it? Your face underwater. And and so that submerged face, it's like our time together is a prompt toward eagerness, The, the held breath, like the gathering of believers again, just reuniting to beg with desperation, just come back. Jesus come back and then eagerly awaiting for that coming now in the passage I'm going to reorder it here just just bear with me so we're going to do it like this we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body and he'll do it by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control so so this lowly bodies part this promise the translators have a lot of fun with the phrase lowly bodies. It's, it's one that gets rendered a lot of different ways. The, the New Living Translation says our weak mortal bodies. The New American Standard says the body of our humble state. Uh, the Berean literal says our body of humiliation. And the AMP says our earthly bodies. So our bodies are, are weak and earthly and humiliated because of the stain of sin. It's it's one of these bodies that Jesus took on in the incarnation. Not considering equality with God something to be grasped, he took on flesh as a human and servant. That was chapter 2, Paul there, just weeks ago. And his body, not affected by his own sin, we know that he was sinless, but so clearly affected by, by the smudge of sin nonetheless, and if that makes you uncomfortable, if you're uncertain about that, just consider the scars of his execution. Are those not the marks of his being sinned against forever scarred on his flesh? Now, I've, I've been reflecting on how different my own life would have been had I been born in the first century instead of the 20th century. I've been thinking about Mark chapter eight. It's the story where Jesus is talking to a blind man and he leads him out of town and he spits on his eyes and he puts his hands on him. And then he asks, do you see anything? And the man says, I see people. They look like trees walking around. It's a weird thing to say, but that's what he says. And I take my glasses off and y'all are blurry messes, just colors in the crowd here. I, I, Couldn't distinguish anyone, even if I knew you. I just, it's nothing. I I consider that I probably would have been one of the blind men. And, and I think about all of the other things, and I think about corrective surgeries on my knees to repair ACLs two in the last 10 years. Don't have good knees, I guess. I think about the battle that I have to keep weight off or how, how I work to manage ADHD. It's why I lock myself into notes, because if I don't, I'm good luck trying to hang with me where I'm going. I, I have to. So I might just be young, or I might be tricked by some momentary health here, but there's many of you I know that already know your body is a lowly body. You're, you're someone dealing with chronic pain, you've got a difficult diagnosis, you, you're plagued by an ongoing sinful desire that you constantly are managing, or maybe you're just losing functionality you once had. Just hard to get old. As I talked to John Barclay, he's teaching the same passage tomorrow morning here on the Rogers Campus. He said, our bodies are the only parts of us that aren't getting sanctified over our lifetime. That even if we like find sobriety for a moment and and get better in one place, or, or maybe even if we start to better steward our body for a season, the overall trend is still toward the grave. Dwight Pentecost said this about the hope we await at Christ's return. He said, in his coming again, he will not come as the savior of souls, that work has been completed. He will come as the savior of the body. Our lowly body will be like his glorious body. So what, is, what have we ever seen of a glorious body? Body. We, we saw in the Old Testament, we got Moses, right? He comes face-to-face with God. He's so radiant that he covers his face. Uh, I, I think that's a preview of our glorified bodies. We see in the New Testament, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus and Moses again and Elijah, so radiant that the disciples fall to their faces in fear. We just spent the spring studying about all the or, uh, post post. Uh, resurrection, pre-ascension appearances of Jesus, and he's doing crazy things. He's not immediately recognizable. He passes through doors and walls or appears and disappears at will. He's eating food, but he's not hungry. I just think if these are tastes of what is to come, we don't have a clue what this is going to be like. We don't know what it's like to to have an untainted by sin kind of day. We don't know what it's like not to spend a whole conversation trying to misman- or manage miscommunication and trying to-, to get past one another. We just don't, I don't think we know. Uh, what a marvelous day we long for. Something truly new and miraculous. So we, we plotted out the description of the enemies. Let's put up the counterpoints that Paul gives to describe the identities of Christ's disciples. The, though many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, for those whom he's saving, we live as citizens of heaven by the cross of Christ. And if their destiny is destruction, then our destiny is salvation. Only because of the grace of God, through the blood of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have some had their destiny changed from destruction to salvation. And if their God is their stomach or their appetites and the the quest to satisfy their every earthly desire, then our God is the only one who satisfies, the only one capable of redeeming our broken earthly appetites and filling our heavenly ones. And if their glory is in their shame, then our glory is in His shame. He knows the fullness of the human experience, including the experience of being sinned against and of living in a chaotic, sin-tainted world. And he knows the fullness of every temptation without giving in. C.S. Lewis talked about this in Mere Christianity, that that if I'm tempted to this point point in whatever sin that I'm in, and it's hard to stay here, it's hard to stay faithful, and I give in, Jesus knows what it's like there, and He knows what it's like if I would have lasted a little longer and a little longer and a little longer. And He knows whatever the fullness of the temptation is, He knows it until it's totally done and it doesn't tempt Him any longer. He knows what that's like. What a, grief, what a gift that is. He knows the fullness of every temptation, and He isn't shame. His isn't shame for what He's done wrong. But if every wrong thing that I've done. Is on him at once on the cross there? And all, all your garbage and your trash and your mess is up there with him too? The whole of the shame of humanity on him, he absolutely knows the fullness of human shame. And yet Hebrews 12 says, he scorned the shame of the cross to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God in glory. So if their root beliefs are formed by a mindset on earthly and lowly things than ours are in a mindset on eternal and glorious things, which brings us back to the section that I jumped over. And it's this, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Uh, That in the face of our light and momentary lowly trouble, he's achieving in and for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That our, our brief earthly citizenship is put in its right perspective. It's like my friend who, who, when he would complain to his mom as he was growing up, she would answer, in view of eternity, of what consequence is this? Deeply unsatisfying as a child to hear that every time you have a complaint. But in light, in view of eternity, of what consequence is this? Our days are, are shrunken when compared with our eternal destiny. And when we look to heaven and and we await the return of Christ, we won't see his crucified body coming back or his entombed body. We're calling our eyes and hearts upward toward the, the resurrected, glorious body of Christ coming back. And not only do we eagerly await that, but we eagerly await what happens to us, what he will do there to us. These bodies that we have now... We, they won't be like they are now. We won't be, we won't be nursing the infirmities that we nurse or, or struggling against the sins that plague our days. They won't be the buried bodies of loved ones. No, they will be the physical, resurrected, and made new glorious bodies like his resurrection body. <sighs> I long for him to bring everything under his control. I long for him to bring broken desires and errant cravings and confused identities and sickness and illness and aging. Can you imagine maturing without aging? And and I, I want him to bring wars and rumors of wars and abuse and strife and tears and sadness and corruption and greed and hunger and fear and pain. I long for the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians 15, that the last enemy to be destroyed will be death that death won't happen again, that those of us who are still alive when he returns will be spared from ever drinking fully from that cup and all the saints dead up to that point will be resurrected and restored to never taste of death again. I like metal music and there's a song where the guy just screams, my fate is not a hole to fill, it's longing to attain your will. Oh, and it just feels good to scream along with it. So Paul as he said in chapter 2, he said the returning one that we're waiting and hoping for is the one who, who, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death On a cross, and therefore, despite the fact that his lowly body hung and died, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue can acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we too now with our lowly earthly bodies, but soon with glorious bodies, so soon with glorious bodies, join in that praise and glory. So let's not just wait. Let's with eagerness, brothers and sisters, press on toward our heavenward prize. Pray with me. Jesus, come back. It's what we want. We can't wait to have our eyes upward, see you coming back. And until that day, be with us as we press on day by day, carrying these lowly bodies through the pain of hard days and the joy of good gift days. And we long for your return. Be with us, we pray.
1: Amen.
0: want to take some time to teach you guys this next song it's one we sang for a while mosaic we just haven't sung it in a long time so we're bringing it back out but this is a call and response so I'll sing a a part that's ask a question and you'll just respond with the answer that we'll, we'll have on the screen for you but it'll feel like this so I'll say do you feel the world is broken and you'll sing we do that'll be your part And you'll catch on as we go, but just encourage you to hear these words as we sing. all blessing and honor and glory. Is He worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the our messiah hold forever those he loves he does does our god Take a moment, focused on Christ, and just thank him. Share some gratitude that he is with us. Ourselves here in, in between. Lord, when we'll be made new. We'll have new bodies. And Lord, we worship you for that. So, Lord, as we just process that together, we want to celebrate that. So, Lord, hear our praises. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, let's stand and rejoice together. that's our prayer, that we really mean it. Lord, that we would be a church that can only make more and more of you and less and less of us, Father. Lord, thank you for the future plans that you have for us. Give us hope, Lord, as we're living here in the in-between. Let's trust you love you, Father. Praise things in your name, amen. Church, it's a gift to worship together. Uh, If you would like prayer, uh, have a seat in the back two rows. We have a section marked. Um, We'll have someone come and pray for you. Uh, We'd love to connect with you. We also have prayer cards in the back if you'd like to fill one out. We have uh, information in the foyer, so come find our staff. We'd love to connect with you if this is your first time here. And even if you've been here for a while and have questions, we'd love to connect with you. For now, let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said? See you next week, church.